Hey everyone, my name is Andrew, Med22 at OHSU, and I'll be your host for this episode of eBigCast. I have an awesome guest for you today. He's a licensed EMT who does ski patrol at Copper Mountain in Colorado. When he's not saving lives on the slope, you can almost certainly find him skiing every chance he gets. You may know him from that time you broke your leg in Vail. It's my pleasure to introduce my friend and yours, Brandon Clark. Welcome to the eBigCast, man. Good to have you. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Um, it's funny. Vail is kind of the butt of jokes in places like Colorado, but uh, it would be great to work in a place like Vail. So. That was just the first one that came to <laughs> mind before you mentioned Copper Mountain, so I figured I would play into the joke. All good. Um, so um, I know a lot of our listeners are likely familiar with Ski Patrol, uh, but for those of us like myself who don't spend as much time on the mountain, um, why don't we just start by um, having you give us a picture of what you do, what your role is? Yeah, so uh, I am a I patrol part time uh, at Copper, um, which kind of puts me in a slightly different category than uh, some of the people who do this job full time. Uh, mostly meaning that I don't get to uh, use explosives to cause avalanches. Um, but outside of that, it's pretty much the same gig. Um, so we are fully responsible for all uh, medical and trauma related response um, on the mountain on any given day. Um, we're also involved pretty heavily with the opening and closing of terrain on a mountain, basically opening runs that are safe, closing runs that aren't safe, um, and then kind of a little bit of the like telling people to be safe and telling people to slow down stuff, um, and a lot of uh, helping people down the mountain when they may have uh, overextended themselves. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, for those of you who are familiar who uh, go skiing frequently or ever have, um, we're the people in the big red, big red jackets um, that uh, ski around like we're really important, um, even though we're really just uh, skiing most of the time. Um, but yeah, it's a uh, it's a cool gig, um, and uh, it definitely like is super heavily involved with kind of the keeping the resort open um, for whatever that means, and then they're responding to any incidents that occur uh, throughout the day. That sounds awesome. It sounds like you have a ton of responsibility on the mountain, keeping everyone safe. Um, how did you first get interested in ski patrol? Yeah, so it's a bit of a funny story. Um, I grew so I have grew up in Colorado and have lived here pretty much all my life. Um, skiing was a really big part of my life growing up. Uh, I was pretty heavily involved in Winter Sports Club in the town of Steamboat um, and kind of was doing that all throughout my childhood. Um, and we were, my family, we were skiing almost every weekend in the winter um, growing up. And then after college, I started working my real person job and one of my coworkers, her father, did part-time ski patrol at Copper in the same way that uh, I do it now. That was when I first heard about the idea, um, and it seemed like, you know, as I kind of have gone through this whole, like, getting out of college, having a job, doing that, the normal nine-to-five type stuff, I've definitely been looking for ways to kind of get more involved in other uh, slightly or significantly more interesting aspects of life. Um, and so doing ski patrol seemed like a really great way to uh, kind of give back in a way and help people. Um, but being able to do it part-time uh, still allowed me to kind of uh, have a career. Um, so that was when I first 
kind of started, this was probably back in like 2017, 2018 when I first started looking into it. Um, and then fall of 2018 was when I w- enrolled at, um, at the local community college to get my uh, <clears throat> EMT licensure. So that was a full semester of, I think like, I don't know, 14 credits or something like that. It was three nights a week. Um, and then uh, a lot of hands-on testing, a lot of clinical, or not a lot of clinicals, but three days of clinicals in various uh, areas around the county. Um, and yeah, so after getting the EMT licensure, um, I applied, gosh, the summer of 2019 to start doing patrol. Um, and then that next winter, which was last winter, was my first year. Um, and uh, last year, obviously, was a little weird. There's been a pandemic that I'm sure you guys have heard about. We um, have it out here, too, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, we started training in November. Uh, training went till the end of February. We all, my whole little cohort, kind of passed our, quote, unquote, coverage exams uh, right near the end of February. And then, of course, uh, I worked one weekend last year, and then the whole all the resorts shut down for the year. So, oh, man. Um, super weird in that sense, but uh, we've been back at it this year, obviously with a lot of uh, complications. Um, but uh, it's been, you know, it's kind of in some ways good to step away from things. And during, uh, well, obviously I shouldn't say during the pandemic because we're still pretty during the pandemic, but. Um, <laughs> And then come back this winter has been a real, uh, it's been really exciting for me. So I've worked two weekends so far this year um, and, uh, you know, a little bit different, but uh, it's been nice. It's been cool to kind of do something um, that makes me feel like I'm having a positive impact on people. So Definitely, man. That sounds like you kind of went through something that a lot of us, uh, at least in, uh, you know, in med school, you know, a lot of my classmates are going through having that you know, urge to give back, but also trying to find something that you're really passionate about. And you were definitely able to merge that with, uh, with ski patrol. Um, yeah, it's been cool. It definitely has me like considering alternate ways to, you know, make a living. Cause I, I mean, I find the medical stuff super engaging and I find my job super not engaging. So I'm <laughs> like, well, maybe I should look more towards making a career out of something like this. And so who knows what that'll end up being or if it'll end up being anything, but, uh, definitely been a cool experience for sure it seems like you're really passionate about it um how have things uh you know now that you're just starting to get back how are things really different for you with the pandemic um what kind of precautions do you have um how are things different on the mountain compared to last time you were up there yeah so um from a from an overall perspective it's interesting a lot so i live in summit county colorado where there's a lot of different ski resorts um a few resorts are doing things various different ways um at Copper, what we're doing this year is we're requiring reservations for parking, but not reservations to actually ski. So they're kind of trying to limit the amount of people who are at the resort on a given day, um, but not like formally limiting the actual number of people. So it's kind of an interesting balance in that. And other resorts are having required reservations for all skiers every day, and other resorts um, are doing basically nothing and just kind of having COVID precautions in place, um, but not like formalized uh, rules and restrictions. And everyone's kind of working with the various counties and the state and, you know, doing the best they can. Um, And, you know, it's an interesting dilemma, right? Because we, I live in, you know, a town that, you know, the vast majority of 
how the town works is based off of tourism coming from these resorts. And so mm-hmm. I'm, you know, lucky enough that my actual job isn't related to this. So, you know, I've been employed and busy and doing stuff this whole time, but there are a lot of people here who haven't been quite as lucky and, you know, restaurants and uh, the, the shops and all that stuff, um, you know, they need these resorts to stay open. So it's that really unfortunate, like, oddity that I think a lot of us have kind of been not grappling with because it seems, you know, obvious, but, you know, the debate sort of of like a public health perspective versus keeping things open because, you know, we have way more cases of COVID now than we did in March and we shut everything down in March. So it's yeah. a little confusing in that sense. But um, from my actual day-to-day work perspective, I mean, we all have, uh, we're all fitted for N95 masks at the end of the year that we use anytime um, someone shows up as what we call a positive screening on our COVID screening. And so um, um, we can kind of talk about it further in detail later, but um, when we, you know, come up on a patient, we ask them, you know, the standard fever, sore throat, shortness of breath, headache, cough, loss of taste or smell, fatigue, muscle aches, vomiting, diarrhea, runny nose, congestion. We kind of run through that COVID screening before we, um, come close to someone. Um, and obviously this is like ideal. If someone's lying on the ground screaming of a broken leg, you're kind of in a bit of a different situation. But, um, mm-hmm. the idea is in general that we want to do a COVID screen before we come in contact with someone. If someone presents as a yes for any of those questions, we put on our, uh, N95s and all appropriate PD that we can, um, before doing our assessments. Um, so, I mean, the good news for us is that, you know, the vast majority of what we do is outside and, you know, I'm not uh, going to come on a medical podcast and say that I act like I know a ton about uh, how COVID <laughs> spreads. But from everything I've read, it seems like outdoors is generally a much safer environment. So um, the risk in my eyes is relatively, I mean, relatively low, obviously not as low as uh, staying at home. But, um, yeah, that's kind of been a big change for our day-to-day perspective. And then the other change, which has been... I guess there's a few other changes. The random one that makes me laugh is that um, we all have to, so pretty much every ski patrol you ever meet has like a pretty thick beard and with N95, <laughs> we're not allowed, to have, not allowed to have beards this winter, which is kind of silly. Yeah. Um, so that's been uh, a bit of a, I just laughed. There was like a whole New York Times article about it back in November. I was like, I really didn't think this was New York Times type important, but uh, I still laughed okay. when I read the article. Um, the ever-changing look of ski patrol exactly yeah exactly there were, yeah the article was funny there were like people who haven't shaved in 18 years and you're like oh my gosh um but so yeah that's been kind of like a quirky little change uh the other changes and this is a bit unfortunate but you know it's normally a really uh like strong kind of group mentality and like we generally spend a lot of time with each other you know in the locker rooms in the morning or after work um kind of hanging out and just kind of talking shop and telling stories and kind of just kind of that group shared knowledge. And a lot of that has been really, severely cut back. I mean, our locker rooms, we used to have one locker room that housed the entire ski patrol. We've now been split up into four different rooms, which each of which have limits on how many people can be there. And we're split up into two basically pods of the, with regards to which side. So I'm working this entire winter on one side of the mountain. Um, and so there are people who work on the other side of the mountain that I won't see uh, all winter. So well, yeah. some of that type of stuff is a bit of a bummer. But, um, you know, all in, all consi- all things considered, uh, 
definitely a small price to pay to be able to get out there and do something we all like uh, during a really trying time for uh, a lot of people. So I think we're all just kind of being reminded constantly that uh, even with all the really like tragic things that have happened over the last year and stuff, um, it's still pretty fun to slide down a mountain on snow, you know, so we've got that going for us. Yeah. yeah, and and everything that's going on, you're still getting able to you're still able to do what you love to do. Um, yeah, sounds exactly. Sounds like a very very optimistic perspective, um, <laughs> and it's got to be tough. Uh, I know you mentioned you're just, you're just starting out for the season, um, not having that camaraderie with your team. Um, what is what does your team look like? Who who comprises that team? Uh, yeah. What? Yeah. So let me see. We have. I'll pull up the information from today. I think we have like 40 patrollers work in total at, uh, at Copper Mountain. Um, and so the, I think we have like 30 some full-time patrollers. So they work five days a week. And then there's like a dozen of us who are part-time. So we're only on the weekends. And so I'm there every other weekend uh, with about a, so I think every weekend day we have about six people, I think. And so, um, yeah, it's an interesting group. You know, you get a lot of people who've been patrolling for years and years and years. You know, the guy who's kind of in charge of our volunteer program has been working at Copper Mountain for 38 years. I think this is his 39th year of ski patrolling. Um, so you get people like him, and then you get um, a lot of people who are, you know, kind of seasonal employees who kind of – last year there was a few people who come up who came up from uh, – Southern Hemisphere in New Zealand and Australia. Um, uh, you get a lot of people. Um, yeah, there's, it's definitely a, uh, it's, uh, I wouldn't say it's a diverse group, but it's diverse in terms of people's experiences for sure. Um, a lot, the bare minimum of medical expertise is being an EMT. Um, there are a lot, a handful of paramedics, um, a handful of people who are what we call, um, like medical volunteer professionals, I think, or something along this line. I guess it's kind of an oxymoron of a term, <laughs> for volunteer professional. But um, we have people who come in on the weekends, like we have multiple emergency room doctors, people of that ilk, um, who are basically our backup for the real scary stuff. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a really interesting group for sure. Um, a lot of really funny, you know, salty uh, salty people who kind of work hard, and uh, I always kind of try really hard when I'm there because, you know, I'm, I'm just there on the weekends. I try to do all the stuff that no one else, that you know, full-timers get real tired of. Um, so mm-hmm. I do a bunch of the junk work that I figure it helps these people out, and, uh, you know, there's definitely a, a bit of a variation between the people who are, like, snow professionals and get out there every day and, you know, go up and they're analyzing snow and, like, responding to all sorts of different things throughout the day and then the people like me who show up on the weekends and uh just try and stay out of the way while being as valuable as we can so but (laughs) yeah really cool group um there's a lot of really like really super brilliant people um and really just like responsible and uh like the experience uh or the amount of experience that a lot of these people have is something that i'm always kind of in awe of because there's always someone to answer my questions um, which is really great because uh, I have a lot of questions throughout the day. So oh, for it sure. Out well. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like that's a 
really exciting, diverse group of people. Um, kind of interesting that you brought up. Um, there are there can be emergency med docs um, up on the hills. For our listeners, if that's something that you're interested in, um, you know, that's a pretty pretty rad career path. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, something you brought up a little earlier that I really wanted to talk about um, is uh, once you get to a patient, you brought it up when you were talking about COVID, but um, I wanted you to maybe walk us through your perspective from getting a call about an injury and then maybe all the way through patient handoff in the emergency department. Yeah, so our incident response, everything is run, you know, it's very similar to, I would imagine, most emergency medical response, right, in the sense that everything for us begins from our dispatchers. Um, so two sides of the mountain, we have two different dispatchers, um, depending on which side of the mountain you are. Uh, that determines who is your dispatcher for the day. Um, it normally begins with a call over the radio from the dispatcher to our um, our like all mountain radio line, basically saying um, attention ski patrol. We have a report of a 1050, which is what we the code for like a skier related injury. Um, so it'd be like. Attention ski patrol, we report a 1050 in, um, like, Central Park. So this is what happened to a buddy of mine over the weekend, or a, not a fellow patrol over the weekend. was He got, there was a call out about a 1050 in Central Park, which is the train park uh, at Copper Mountain. So my buddy was sitting outside, and he radioed back to the, um, radioed back to the um, dispatch saying that he was going to take it. So... Uh, you kind of load up all your stuff, you grab uh, a nifty little ski patrol toboggan um, and head down the hill. Um, the toboggan is basically just, uh, you know, for the most part, it's our mechanism of getting people who can't ski anymore down the hill, but we also have kind of basic splinting and, you know, stuff to keep you warm uh, in the toboggans. And then every patroller normally carries a lot of kind of basically like a, a basic um, trauma slash med sort of pack of things. And so for mine, I have like various splinting mechanisms from triangles to a sling to a sand splint. Um, and then a bunch of stuff just for uh, any lacerations, all sorts of gloves and blood, gauze, stuff like that. And then uh, not a crazy amount of medical stuff, but we do have within the buildings, um, we have oxygen and we have, you know, a, um, we have a defibrillator, um, and then there are various drugs and stuff that our uh, paramedics on staff uh, can use um, on on the hill. And so uh, once you kind of load up everything that you think you'll need, you, you kind of head out from your duty station, uh, get down to where um, the person that you're responding to um, is, and then call back to your dispatcher, let them know you found them, and then switch off of our general channel, radio channel, onto a private channel um, so that we can discuss, uh, you know, secure patient information as well as um, actual any specifics about the uh, what's going on. Um, obviously, you don't want to <laughs> broadcast that too widely. Um, and so <laughs> this year we have our COVID screening, which is the first thing that we do. Um, and then after that, it really just becomes a real – a um, so everything, you know, I always fall back on what was our EMT training, right? So it, it becomes, um, you know, A, B, A, B, C. Um, so 
your airway, mm-hmm. your breathing, your circulation, um, which I'm sure is not exactly breaking news to anyone who's <laughs> listening to this podcast. But, um, <laughs> yeah, quite. it's kind of the, the assessing of scene safety and then going through and, you know, trying to decide, okay, is this person dying or is this person, you know, are they hurt or are they, like, really, really hurt? And so we kind of deal with a really pretty broad spectrum of injuries at Copper, like this weekend, and I mean, at any resort, but um, I mean, I think this weekend I responded only to knee injuries, whereas uh, a fellow patroller of mine responded to a pretty uh, scary close head injury um, where I think we had a kid who I uh, couldn't, I don't remember the specifics, but he was having a really hard time um, remembering things, keeping his eyes open, stuff like that. And so um, it's definitely one of the challenges of the whole thing, right, is that you, you're you only dealing with the information that you get from your dispatcher, and your dispatcher is only dealing with information that he got from some third party on scene. So right. you don't normally have someone who is, like, if someone calls Speed Patrol, they're not normally like, hey, we have a... Like, hey, we have a pretty severe CHI. This person's only A and O times two. Uh, you need to get down here ASAP. Yeah. Like, hey. Yep. Or like, hey, I think that kid hit his head. Not totally sure. Someone should come check this out. And so um, a lot of times when we respond to things, it's like like I got called down uh, at one point this week, last weekend, where it was um, like, it was like a woman in pain at the base of the resort. He's <laughs> like, all right. Nice good. and specific. <laughs> yeah, I'll go find her. Uh-huh. Uh, and, you know, I get down to her, and I think she did something to her knee or something, and she was totally uh-huh. fine by the time I showed up. And it's like, well, uh, that could have gone a lot of different ways. Um, and oh, definitely. It's, it's nice when it's relatively straightforward, and obviously it's, uh, it's a whole different plan of action when you get there and you realize you're in a real uh, sticky situation. And so what that – what generally – the kind of the path there, what happens for us is yeah. we, if something is really scary, basically you kind of have that determining factor of like, okay, do we need to stay here and perform, you know, emergency medicine or can we pack up and get them down to the base and transport it as quickly as possible to uh, the clinic that is at the resort? Um, and what's your so, approach like when you, when you come up on a patient like that? Yeah, so it really kind of depends a lot on what you what you're seeing on the scene, and also kind of what you're getting from your um, your initial assessment, as well as uh, we're trained to to do a full head to toe assessment with every patient that we interact with. So um, if you show up to the terrain park and you have a kid lying down, not moving, with a huge dent in his helmet that tells you a lot about what you're about to uh, show up to, you know? Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the decision-making kind of happens really early in the sense that like, um, you know, you, there's not a ton of like secrets in a resort or in like a resort setting, you know, like you can generally see, you know, if you really wanted to try, you can see where someone was skiing, when they fell, what their skis were doing, what direction they were facing, all these various things. And so um, a lot of decision-making kind of starts with that type of information. But, um, you know, if we have any any problems with airway, breathing, circulation, then we immediately uh, turn it into what we call a trauma activation. And so a trauma activation becomes a whole different, um, you know, we have a normal injury is, is just, quote-unquote, a 1050. A trauma activation becomes a whole different thing. So um, what does that when look you're like? in... 
a Tron activation, you make your call back to your dispatcher and they basically send any medical experts that are available at the time, any pretty much any patroller who is within the area will normally show up and do whatever they can. So, um, you know, normally we'll have, for a trauma activation, we'll have someone come out from um, the duty station with a backboard. Someone else will come down with, um, you know, a, an oxygen backpack that we have that has, uh, you know, a tank of oxygen in it and all the necessary uh, attachments, stuff like that. Um, so, and then when we have a trauma activation, we immediately get on the line with the people down at the clinic so that they know what we are either bringing into them or in true, like, worst, worst, worst case scenarios, um, we also communicate with the Flight for Life group in the state of Colorado. So there's, um, and obviously this isn't something unique to us, but um, you have helicopters that will fly, land on the resort, pick someone up, take them to a trauma one center down in Denver, um, all in about, you know, half hour, 45 minutes. So um, that's your absolute worst case scenarios. But, um, you know, most of the time with trauma activations, um, you know, we have a whole list of things that we consider uh, a, what would be a trauma activation, anything from inability to adequately ventilate to we see a lot of, like, long bone fractures, those are kind of really scary for us. We feel, I mean, like the thing that we are really trained up on is, you know, the broken femur, the broken pelvis, basically the long or the significant bone fractures that can, due to compartment syndrome and loss of blood, uh, lead to death. Um, and so those are the things we're really scared about. A lot of head injuries and anything kind of with head, neck, and spine, um, is pretty scary just and you know this stuff happens right we're outside slipping around on snow people are going you know even if they're not going that fast if you're uh, a pretty normal person who weighs you know a standard 200 pounds but you're going 20 miles an hour down a down a run um you know if you're in a car accident at 20 miles an hour you're not it's not going to be like necessarily the most traumatic thing ever but if you hit a tree going 20 miles an hour with nothing to protect you that's a real scary situation. So, oh yeah, um, yeah. I mean, we kind of it's it's really um, I don't know. It's there's definitely a wide range, um, and it's kind of the deciding factor. Really, is sort of uh, you know you fall back on your training and your kind of determining factors of like okay, this person is unable to keep their eyes open, or they're unable to breathe, or they look deeply ill. You know. And that mm -hmm. stuff does get a little complicated, of course, because we're outside at between 10,000 and 12,000 feet in the cold, <laughs> you know, so you get a lot of people who, who don't look great. Um, and <laughs> just so, that baseline. Yeah, the baseline is obviously really tricky. And, you know, when you yeah. try and take, I mean, taking vitals is obviously something that you would love to do, but you're like, okay, I got to get through four layers to grab your pulse. And like, oh, crazy. yeah. I can't even see really if you're adequately ventilating due to the fact that, you know, you're looking for chest rise and fall and you have like a long sleeve shirt, a fleece, a puffy and an outer <laughs> jacket. And you're just like, okay, I think you're breathing. And, you know, it's easy to make light of this stuff, but obviously it's really scary um, when you're actually in that situation and stuff. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's kind of the, the best thing I always kind of feel about, and ski patrol is that you are never alone you know you always mm -hmm. have additional resources there's always people who are happy and like bound duty bound to help you know and so um 
a lot of kind of the, the hard decision making falls on you individually, but basically no one's ever going to, if you ski up on someone who you think might have, um, for example, like a, a femur fracture and you're not 100% sure, but you think it might be the case, if if you call that a trauma activation and you bring six ski patrollers down to try and uh, set traction on this person's femur before loading them up and getting them in a sled, or if you activate everything down to um, the flight to life group because you're really worried that this person might die if they bleed out, obviously it's not great if you're wrong, but it's much better to be wrong in that sense than in the opposite sense of, like, you ski up on someone who thinks they just, you know, maybe hurt their knee, but turns out they smoked a tree and don't remember it, you know, that type of issue. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. um, it's generally like our idea is generally, you know, obviously better safe than sorry. And, uh, you just kind of want to go with, um, trust your training and, uh, go with what you think makes the most sense. But, you know, it's easy to be really dramatic about this, but most of the time it's, um, and this isn't like a, a generalization, but it's just like statistically true. Most of the time what we see is women with ACL tears. And it's just something about the way that skiing works and the way that like the human body works and stuff like that. But I swear of the last dozen or so things I've responded to over the last year and a half that I've actually been on scene for, I think the majority are uh, ACL or other knee injuries. So, um, there's always a chance of really scary things, but the majority of things um, are not so scary. I was actually looking this morning, um, the local paper here in Summit was showing some statistics, and this is from, gosh, uh, this is from 2017, 2018, and there were, 2017, 2018, an estimated 12.3 million skier visits in Colorado. The actual rate of traumatic injuries was 0.01%, you know, so most, 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 most people. So, yeah, 12.3 million skier visits and 1,400 traumatic injuries were reported across the whole season. So, um, you know, there's a lot of scary stuff. And, I mean, when you do the math on that, that's nine a day, I think. That's a lot of traumas. Yeah, so across your four different resorts in the county, um, yeah, that's you're looking at you know one or two a day. So they definitely do happen, mm -hmm. um, but you know most of the time everyone uh, stays relatively safe. So um, well, that's... I'm not jinxing myself. <laughs> right oh now. yeah, oh, it's reassuring to hear that the percentage is very low. Yeah. Um, but it's, it, it's also really awesome to hear, uh, hear you talk through your approach and, and, and talk through the whole team aspect of, um, of activating a trauma, getting someone off the mountain in an emergency. Um, it seems very reassuring to anyone who would want to go up and, and go skiing this season that, uh, that they are in really great hands. Um, you, you were talking about, uh, some of the obstacles of, um, of you know taking vitals things like seeing chest rise under a ton of layers getting a getting a really good pulse when it's cold and someone's wearing three jackets um what are some other obstacles that our listeners might not be aware of in terms of maybe getting a patient down the mountain um getting a helicopter to a remote area that you might not be um you know you might not be able to get a patient out who really has who really needs to get to a level one trauma center 
Um, yeah, totally. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting, right? So you have all sorts of like really specific challenges, um, starting from, like I mentioned earlier, you know, the base of the resort is 10,000 feet, the highest aspect are 12,000 feet. And so if you, I mean, I was, I laugh about it, but you know, it's not actually that funny, but when you go through our like COVID screen questions, you have questions like, difficulty breathing <laughs> it's like well yeah it could, be, it could be the fact that you're at 12,000 feet um that might be related uh to your difficulty breathing um so that's definitely an odd one i mean we stuff with high altitude sickness both um high altitude cerebral edema and high altitude pulmonary edema um are things that we are always conscious of um but it's tricky too because you don't want to be too sucked down into that it's almost like a, um, I forget what the like uh, psychological thing is, but we're like when you, when you like have a day where you feel like you're seeing a ton of like yellow cars or something, you'll think that you're seeing more yellow cars than you're actually seeing something along those lines. <laughs> where it's like due to the fact that we are at high altitude, we're always thinking about about the impact of high altitude on patients. You almost don't want to get too sucked down into that hole if that's not actually what's going on. You know, it can be distracting in a lot of ways. Um, so. The altitude stuff is definitely really um, challenging in that aspect. Um, although, I mean, it's we get a lot of people who come visit Colorado from places. I mean, the vast, vast majority of the United States and the world are at sea level or within a few thousand feet of it, and we are at um, significantly higher altitude than that. So um, that causes like actual physiological challenges for a lot of people. I mean, there's a guy I skied up on last year who I think flew in the night before from, I want to say Texas had spent one night at altitude, woke up the next day, had a beer before skiing, got up to the hill, got up to the top of the hill. He was at 12,000 feet and he couldn't stand up. And I skied up on this guy and I was like, Oh my gosh. Hey man, are you okay? And he was like, Oh yeah. And you're like, I don't know if you are actually. Um, so that stuff's definitely uh, tricky, and you know, uh, there aren't you don't get a lot of people who are um, under the influence of things, but it happens every once in a while. And you're just kind of like, I don't know if you knew what you were doing when you decided to uh, consume an alcoholic beverage at uh, 10,000 feet. But um, that's mm-hmm. what's interesting. But the weather changes a lot, um, and that's uh, you know uniquely challenging in that sense, just where it's like. If you roll, show up on a patient who's in a tremendous amount of pain, you want to do everything you can to comfort them immediately. But if it's freezing cold outside, you also know that you will increase their comfort significantly more if you get them down to the clinic and get them inside as soon as possible. So it's almost like the short-term sacrificing of immediate comfort for a better long-term solution. Um, and you know, obviously, and there's also just stuff of being like being conscious of hypothermia and things like yeah. that, which are very real concerns um, out in this environment. Um, so that's what's tricky. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think there is kind of a lot of, it's been interesting this year, everyone's supposed to be wearing masks at all times, which is great. Um, but it's, it's definitely harder in some ways to really assess how someone's doing if you can't really read facial expressions and, you know, it's harder to kind of establish that rapport of someone of being like, hey, everything's going to be okay if you are sort of, you know, masked, goggled, um, trying to stay six feet away. It obviously becomes a little tricky in that 
part. Yeah, but, definitely a uh, barrier put up between you guys. Yeah, which is tough. Uh, but, you know, I mean, for the most part, it's uh, it's a fun environment to do medicine in just because it's very, like, specific. It's, like, specifically non-standard, um, you know, mm-hmm. which I really kind of think is cool because you can have these situations. And, you know, obviously a lot of the stuff we just talked about when we were doing our training and stuff, but it's, like, if you have someone who's, like, in the trees and has, like, various bone fractures, there's nothing stopping you from, like, splinting them with, uh, like, a tree branch, you know, if it's the best thing you can do at any given moment. And so, um, obviously, stuff like that's not, like, great or best practice or anything like that. But I think the for as many cons as there are to being outside trying to do challenging, uh, you know, inherently life-saving medicine and stuff like this, um, I think that it is, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, a interesting and unique work environment, which I think definitely prevents it from ever being monotonous. Um, yeah. and I think that's why people do it for, you know, that guy I was telling about earlier, who's been working patrol at Copper for 38 years. It's like, you'd think you'd do the same thing for almost four years and you get bored of it, but, uh, it's like inherently not boring. So if it's that exciting every day, day after day, yeah, yeah. now kind of my next train of questions is once that patient is splinted with the tree branch, you sacrifice that uh, brief amount of discomfort to get them down to the much more comfortable emergency department. Um, what are some aspects about ski patrol that you think everyone in the emergency department really needs to know? Yeah, I think a lot of it for our perspective. And so I, I actually was just thinking, we didn't really talk so much about the handoff of how we do talk to um, our emergency department, but um, it's, uh, I think it's really cool. You know, the, the relationship that we have with the people who work at the Copper Mountain Clinic, I mean, they are very uh, great at what they do. And they also work in a similar, like they're working within their environment, but they are also a clinic at the base of the ski resort, right? So they see things in a very specific way and they see very specific things, you know, mm-hmm. I tell every person who I ever ski up on who has a knee injury that like, look, I understand that you want to go home and see your doctor in Georgia to look at your knee, but your doctor in Georgia hasn't seen a dozen ACLs in the last week, you know? So like there's definitely kind of a knowledge base that comes with working, um, in a very specific, uh, environment. And so, um, I think for like, Things that come from ski patrol that relate to an emergency department, um, I think it's a lot of, you know, keeping an open mind to all possibilities and all possible outcomes, um, which is obviously not, uh, it's not rocket science, you know, but um, I think that a lot of kind of the stuff that we do being outdoors and, you know, you kind of have to be able to really focus on finding out what is wrong with someone without necessarily relying on, um, you know, a lot of the, the things that you have in the in emergency department. So um, kind of the assessment of someone's, uh, like, general aptitude when it comes to, like, is this person sick or not? Like, a lot of what we do is just asking that question, you know, and so... Obviously, when someone's in an emergency room, that question's been answered already, and then you get down to more of the specifics of figuring out what is going on and what you can do to actually fix what's going on. Um, so but I do think, too, um, a large part of what I think is, you know, in some ways my favorite part of doing this whole uh, job is the 
kind of establishing the rapport with someone. Um, and I think that's super applicable for all forms of medicine, obviously, where it's you're, you're interacting with someone at the absolute worst moment of their day and possibly the worst moment of their week, month, year, life, if it's really scary. Um, and so just kind of being able to provide a comforting voice and ensure that everything that you can do will be done and ensure that this person's in good hands and ensure, I mean, when I think about it from like a 10,000 foot view, it is really wild that people come skiing at Copper Mountain, take a fall, and then I load them into a toboggan and they just trust me to ski them down to the bottom of this mountain, you know? And like, that's a lot of faith in people and you kind of have to make people comfortable with uh, what's going on. Um, And, you know, it's kind of very similar to how it would be in an emergency room, right? Where, if someone is in an emergency room, they're obviously having a bad day, you know, and you mm-hmm. need to do everything you can to make them more comfortable with what's going on while also balancing the reality of like, you know, sometimes it's not, you know, you can say that things are going to be okay. It's not always okay, you know, and like there's kind of that, uh, that odd uh, juxtaposition between, um, you know, doing everything you can and being honest, uh, but also wanting to make sure that, um, you comfort a patient uh, right. as far as kind of how they feel. So, uh, um, I mean, yeah. you really, you really hit on, especially like the next point I was gonna gonna ask. Kind of the most rewarding and most challenging aspects of your training, and you're talking about building that rapport is really rewarding, and uh, and you know, having to put on that face, kind of being one of the more challenging aspects. Um, you know, how else do you, you know, face challenges or, you know, feel really rewarded at the end of your day? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think uh, it's interesting. We had a scenario over the weekend, I guess not a scenario because it was what actually happened. Um, and we had two, we had a 10-year-old and a 12-year-old, I think, who were, became lost parties, you know, and it's like, that is kind of one of those aspects of the job that you don't really think about. And then you're like, oh my God, someone is missing their child. What mm-hmm. can we do? To help us and you know you kind of do do what you can to try and find them and by the end of the day we bit through working with ski patrol and other people at the resort um you know you got these these groups all back together and kind of stuff like that where it's like that is obviously very rewarding um but also just kind of the the like being outside all the time i really i really enjoy which might not be super applicable to a lot of other forms of medicine but um we pretty much, we, we watch the sunrise and the sunset every single day that we work, um, which is really cool. Um, I get to ski a lot, which is really cool. Um, but it's also just fun to be, and I was thinking this is something that probably relates to um, a lot of people in the more formal medical environment, but being kind of like seen and expected to be a person of expertise. Um, I find that very rewarding, you know, and I think it's something that a lot of people kind of seek out in life. And like, we all want to be good at what we do and we all want to like be in many ways experts at what we do. And so, um, you know, you ski around a ski resort in a red jacket with a big white cross on the back and people assume that about you. Um, and in some ways it's kind of like, it's weird when someone asks me a question, I don't know the answer to, but, uh, more often than not, I do know the answer and I can help people and like, in that bigger sense, uh, it's pretty cool uh, to be kind of part of this sort of big machine of like helping people and you know just trying to make things better. 
uh, for people. And I think especially, I don't know, for me personally, this last year has been super, like, challenging in just, like, the general living sense <laughs> that it feels especially good to do anything that kind of makes things better. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and I absolutely. Know that's like, it's so overtly simplistic, but sometimes it's kind of what it comes back to. That really will speak to a lot of our listeners. Um as as learners in the medical environment, um, you know, putting on uh, you know a red jacket with a white cross, or putting on a short white coat and uh, walking around a hospital, and people expecting you to know the answer, and finally starting to feel like okay, maybe I do know the answer. That is a super rewarding feeling, and that's um, I think that's something that a lot of um, our listeners will will really appreciate to hear from you and. Um, and, and we'll speak to them a lot. Uh, so thank you very much for sharing that. Um, kind of wanted to just, you know, wrap things up a little bit by asking if there's any additional, you know, fun insight or talking points that you wanted to add before, uh, before we take off. Yeah. I mean, I think we've honestly done a pretty great job of covering, uh, kind of the overall, uh, everything about the, the job and kind of the ways in which it uh, relates to medicine and stuff like that. So um, I'm not sure if I've got anything else, uh, which is probably the sign of a good podcast host. So good job. I mean, you made, you made my life very easy. Um, thank you for coming prepared with stories. It was really great to hear. Um, you were super compelling. Um, and, uh, and I think our listeners are going to really enjoy this episode. Again, uh, I want to thank you so much for your time, everyone. This is uh, Brandon Clark, EMT at Copper Mountain in Colorado. So uh, next time you go up there and uh, and you need someone to ski you down the mountain, he's someone you can trust. And uh, again, thank you so much for your time. I really, really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you, Andrew. It was a pleasure.